Third Shift presents The Imposter's Guide to Gaming, your quick fix for gaming news. Here are your hosts, Eric and Matt. Well, 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 boys and girls, guess what? It's episode 17 of IG2G. I knew and I shouldn't have let you open. I shouldn't have hey, let you open. You will let me open, Matt. <laughs> you know why? Because it has to be this way. <laughs> and if you guys are interested in killing Nazis with awesome weapons, if you guys are interested in doing some wrestling moves on people or mythical games that might not even exist because people don't want to play or buy them, <laughs> even though they're not actually real yet, uh-huh. wow, I don't even understand what's going on. And if you like little small men with little red hats, this might be an episode for you. So I'd stay tuned because who knows what's going to happen tonight. Top five releases. Oh, we got WWE 2K18. Of course, I'm going to bring it up. I'm the wrestling guy. I write about wrestling. I watch the wrestling. I go see the wrestling. I love the wrestling. This one dropped on the 17th of October, which would have been the exact same time as this episode would have dropped in the past, but it got screwed up, so now it's here now, so now I'm still talking about it now. Developed by Ukes and Visual Concepts, published by 2K Sports, this dropped for the Switch, PC, PS4, and Xbox One. It's WWE 2K, man. It's wrestling. You get to create your own superstar. You get to use established superstars. You get to go in all kinds of match types, all kinds of arenas, have all kinds of good times. I've heard that the creation suite for the wrestlers in this one is really, really good. I don't know if you can actually edit wrestlers that are in the game because I've seen some screenshots of people who are like, hey, look, I got Johnny Gargano and here's his new outfits. I'm like, but isn't he in the game? I don't know. Either you can edit them, which it looks like you can, or people are just getting really, really good with the creative wrestler feature and are making them really fantastic now. So either way, that's awesome. You got a little story mode. You got ultimate legends mode. You got all kinds of good modes. So if you're into wrestling, if you're into video games, if you're into wrestling video games, go grab this up. Not to be outdone by Matt's, oh, good old wrestling game. I've got a little doozy for you guys out there. If you thought the 3DS was dead, you'd be wrong, sirs and ma'ams, because we've got Atreian Odyssey 5, Beyond the Myth. And what's that, you ask? Well, it's an awesome JRPG dungeon-crawling adventure developed by Atlas, published by Atlas, and released last year for Japan, but released this year for North America as of October 17, 2017. What are you doing this? Well, it's pretty simple, my friends. You, the wonderful adventurer, you head into the Yagdrasil tree to make your way to the very top where all your dreams and wishes can come true. What's in the way? (gasps) Monsters are in the way. Tons and tons of monsters. Yes. Oh, gosh. Hey, what do you want to do on the way? Get treasure chests. Recruit other players to help you get to the top. Strategize. Be smart. Dungeon crawl your way to the top because that's what you need to do in a dungeon crawling adventure. It's very straightforward, fun, you know, cool little sprite-based graphics. Can't go wrong with it. If you're in the mood to spend 100 hours grinding through some dungeons... This may be the title for you. Now, I have a question for you, because Etrian Odyssey 4 was the title for me. Is this more in the same when you got the uh, the map down on the bottom screen and you get to draw your you own grid You do indeed, map? Mr. Yes. Matt. You have the map down on the bottom screen. You get yes. to draw it out, write it out, make it out, show where the pu- treasures are, all that good stuff. Yes. Yes, it is in the same vein as its predecessors, and it will not disappoint if you're a fan of these series. Awesome. Next up, we got Assassin's Creed Origins. This dropped on the 27th of October for PC, PS4, and Xbox One. Oh, man, just like a lot of the things we talk about on this show and all the releases. Hey, it's Assassin's Creed. This time, if you didn't know, somehow, if you just keep your head in, in the sand, if you live in a cave on Mars... You're back in ancient Egypt. You got like uh, you got like uh, animal familiars. You got like an eagle for your eagle vision. You can fly around and scout with him. You got all kinds of new ranged weapons, ranged abilities, all kinds of new combat abilities. You're using boats. The graphics are freaking gorgeous. They're colorful. Most Assassin's Creed games are a little bit colorful, but this one really pops it up with all the foliage, animals, all the kind of just bright popping colors out of the desert backgrounds. There's not much more to say about the basic Assassin's Creed formula, but one thing that I thought was really interesting that they did in this is you can go into like an educational mode where it turns off all the combat and all the objectives, and you can walk around the world they created, go into like the tomb of Pharaoh Hoopadoop, and it'll go in and tell you all about him, you know, this actual guy who actually lived, and you can get the entire actual history behind these 
fictitious events that go on in the game. So I thought that was really cool because one of the best things about the Assassin's Creed games is the way they bring these you know past worlds to life and use historical characters in probably not really historical ways, but you get to bump into them and be like, oh man, look, there's Ben Franklin over here. There's Napoleon over there. Oh man, cool. But now if you go into the educational mode, you get to actually see the buildings they've created and get to learn all the history of these people, of these buildings, of these places that you go. Maybe you don't really know all about it. Now you can. And uh, there you go. Sounds fantastic. So if you like ancient Egypt and you like killing people <laughs> and you like learning about people as you're killing them, Assassin's Creed is for you. What's that you say? You're interested in that little man in the red hat? Well, guess what? You can go get him yourself. Super Mario Odyssey was just released October 27th for the Nintendo Switch. It is published and developed by, well, duh, Nintendo. If I thought you didn't this know, was a Sony well thing. What are you talking yeah, oh, about? Yeah, I thought I saw Sega bought him out. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So, what is this game? Only the best platforming game in the world, which it always has been. And I'm going to elaborate much more on this in a little bit, so I'm going to keep this short, sweet, and simple. You are Mario... You go to awesome, cool little worlds, navigating on your wonderful little ship that you get with your buddy Cappy, who is your new companion and allows you to do all sorts of cool, gimmicky, neat tricks in this new, wonderful Mario game, and you platform the hell out of it, and it is a blast, and if you have a Switch, you're going to own this game. I don't really even need to tell you about it, but I'm going to anyway, because I've been playing it all weekend, and it's a blast, so stay tuned a little bit later, because you're going to want to know about this game. A wonderful thing in life is killing Nazis, everybody. I think we can all agree that this is a wonderful thing in life. And if you don't, well, that's another time and another topic for discussion. Not on this podcast. That's for a spinoff politics podcast. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's what's coming next. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Shut up, Matt. (laughs) I would have no part in that either, so don't. No, neither would I. If you don't know where I'm going with this, I'm going to Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. This game was just released also October 27th for the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. So you can get it anywhere you want. And for that, I am very, very thankful. And before I get into just the basics on this, I just want to say I'm in a real conundrum right now. Because this is a game I'm purchasing. This is a game I am going to play and beat. But do I get it for the Switch? Or do I get it for the PlayStation 4? Oh, yeah. See? Because obviously it's going to take a little hit here and there on the Switch. But the mobility of it is a dream. Mm -hmm. But having that beautiful graphics full screen up on the big TV. Now, see, uh, the the question is, how long is this game? Because if it's a long game, you're going to beat it by, like, maybe June on the PS4. But if you got it on the Switch, you have a higher chance of beating it in a timely fashion. Uh, from what I'm hearing, it's about 14, 15 uh, it's, hours. It's right in that maybe spot. Yeah, so it's in that nice middle ground. You know, it, I would say it's perfect on either one because, mm-hmm. like you said, obviously since it's longer than five, six hours, that means I've got to commit a couple months to the thing because I just don't get that much game time. Yeah. But if I had it on the Switch, I could play it at, at work, all the other places in the mm-hmm. world, which is fantastic. However, we're playing Super Mario Odyssey right now. So the Switch is kind of chokeholded right now. So it might be more beneficial for me to get it on the PlayStation 4 so I can play it down here in the off time. That's true. That's true. There, yeah, there you go. Back on topic. Holy moly. Remix. This game was developed by Machine Games, published by Bethesda Studios. This one takes place following part one, The New Order, in which B.J. Blazkowicz, he almost got himself killed. Spoiler alert, in case you didn't know. Jesus, oh, come on, man. I know. Well, Terrible. Come on, I don't care. Ooh. You're coming up. You're Ooh. obviously, you're not la, dead. La, 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 <laughs> la, 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 You're not dead. You're revived. Stuff goes down. Bad guys that were in the old one reappear. Crap hits the fan. America gets ran over. We're we're back, and here's the kicker, man. Here's the kicker. I'm mm. excited about this because we're in the U.S. of A. in this particular title, yeah. whereas always before you're somewhere in Europe, here, or there, and and you know, like, this is fun, this is nice, but it's not familiar territory. 
now that it's in the U.S. of A., it's like, oh, yeah, I, I know that place. I know these things. This is fantastic. Because, you know, I don't read books, and I don't look at history and check out what's in the world. I live in a bubble. It'll be like, hey, look, here's New York City. What's that green statue lady? I don't know what that is. What? Yeah, I've never knows. been to this place. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I've never once even been close to that place. This is stupid. I have no re- relations might, to this. This might as well be Europe. What is this, some Europe's, <laughs> Europe chapter? What is that? Oh, God. So this game is over the wall crazy. Blood, gore, guts, going nuts, killing Nazis. Their machinations, which are very, very cool, by the way. Everything yeah. these Nazis have created is really cool, gorgeous looking. The gun systems are similar to the New Order. You get to dual wield, all sorts of weapons, different combos, which makes this game, in my opinion, one of the best because nothing's better than dual wielding guns, especially when you can dual wield different types of guns and just make for some insane combinations like a you know, a handgun and a shoddy so or a, or a machine gun shoddy, so you're doing mid-range and close range and that's just beautiful. Oh, it's so gorgeous. The best part though is that the characters in this game are just well fleshed out, voice acting spot on. Everybody's over the top, crazy, insane, or just has an awesome personality of some kind. And you want to know their stories. You want to interact with them. It's not like you're just dredging through it to get to the next portion where you're killing people and taking things out. Mm-hmm. This, you're just looking forward to the cutscenes and the midsections, you know, where you get to wander around and just peruse. So, without going on about this all day long, everybody knows it's a first person shooter. You level up, you you know do the attributes, all the cool different things you always do with these games nowadays. If you haven't gotten it, go get it. And if you haven't gotten it and don't want to get it because you don't want to spend the money, wait a little bit, then get it, because I guarantee it, you're going to have fun. Now, see, I would say if you haven't gotten it and you don't have the money, maybe go play the first one if you haven't played that, too. Because that was, that was not, fantastic, yeah. and you can get that it on was. super cheap. Yes, you can get new order for freaking five, ten bucks, depending on where you go nowadays. Mm-hmm. I agree. What a what a good idea, Matt. I appreciate that, buddy. Thanks Woo-hoo. for jumping in. If you can't afford this one, go play the new order because it's just as good as this one, and you will enjoy it most assuredly, boys and girls. Number five. Step right up, everybody. It's time for Matt's indie game showcase. Oh boy, I got a six pack of games for you this week. That's right. I missed out on telling you about three games last week, so I got I got them back in here. I got them back in the soup. Oh, spoiler alert. What's that about? Anyway, here we go. Number one, a brand new entry for this week that I've been looking at and t- wanting to talk about. I just watched a whole playthrough of it. It's A Mortician's Tale, available on Steam and Itch.io. This is a cool little story-based game about being a mortician in you know a funeral home. And it's kind of a chill, relaxed, but also kind of sort of intense experience because you get to see what goes on in a funeral home. It's presented in a nice cartoony style, so it's not like creepy, but it also is kind of creepy to start out with because, you know, you're preparing bodies for embalming or cremation or all this other stuff. And, you know, you're going through that. There is a little bit of a story as your funeral home develops, et cetera, et cetera, but just a nice, mellow, kind of relaxing, but also sort of somewhat unnerving game. Their ultimate goal is to bring up a lot of topics about death and dying and make it more like less scary, more accessible, kind of, you know, having those conversations about those kind of things. So go check that out or uh, at least just check out a playthrough on YouTube. It's a fun little cute little game. And keeping in the serious tone, next up I saw there is a trailer for a short film I didn't know was in development based on the indie game Papers, Please. Do you know what Papers, Please is, Eric? I don't. I have no idea, Matt. What the hell are you talking about? Oh, my goodness. Papers, Please is an indie game from, I think, maybe two, almost even three years ago now, all about you're a border guard in basically a fictional, you know, Soviet socialist republic, and each day new rules come in, you know, oh, people from that country aren't allowed in, people from this country are... But now today they need a they need a pass when they didn't have to have it before. They have to have their passport stamped three times instead of two. All kinds of different rules and stuff. And it's really interesting in that game because the rules are changing and then the people that come through are changing too. Like, hey, I really need to get home to see my baby or, you know, I need to get my wife through, but she doesn't have a document, but I do. Here's 100 bucks. Can you let us through? And then at the end of each... Each day, you're 
graded and based and your pay is docked depending on how well or poorly you did. And so at the end of the day, it shows your house's finances and how like your mother-in-law, your wife, and your kid are doing. And, you know, if you do poorly and you get your pay docked, then, you know, everyone's health starts going down. You start getting in the red monetarily. It's really interesting. It's really kind of, I wouldn't say it's dark and depressing, but it has those elements to it. So I'm really excited to see how that translates into a little short film. I'm super happy to see how you can play a game. And now, of course, in some near future, watch a short film about just failing at life. It's good stuff. Because <laughs> we don't already do that in real life, Matt. We want to do it in games, too. We're successful in real life, dude. What are you talking about? Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, you just made me sad. <laughs> so now switching gears completely from uh, death and kind of dystopias, it's time to learn about what soup is. This game is called Something Something Soup Something. It's an online browser-based game all about evaluating whether things are soup or not. It's kind of weird to talk about, and I'm not going to blow it up by going into all the stuff like I did during the Phantom episode that got deleted, but go check it out. It's a fun little... I would say like 10 to 15 minute experience and it, it's designed to make you think about what what your concept of soup is and in some ways it works in some ways it doesn't but go play it for yourself you'll understand what I'm talking about yeah like is a, a warm bowl of pea with Funko Pop figures in it a bowl of soup it technically is a warm liquid served in a container with stuff exactly. in it exactly and you can drink it and you will not die see there you go it's soup I will say stuff doesn't get that weird, but it does get a little weird. So go okay. check out Something Something Soup Something. And then if you also want to know more about yourself and the way that uh, stuff works, we got Moon Hunters on the Switch. This is a, wow, gosh, it's an indie game. It's kind of a role-playing game in which, you know, you play a character and the way that you play through the game affects the ending you get and how people perceive what you did. So I was reading up on it on Kotaku, and the author of the article said, you know, well, I was really, you know, thrifty and amassed a lot of money by killing all these monsters. But then at the end of the game, it's like, well, she was kind of cunning and really greedy. All she cared about was money. And then so she played through it a different time, and people had a different opinion of her in the ending. So I think this is a pretty quick game. You can beat it in... I think they were saying maybe like 45 minutes, but you play through it as different characters. You get different endings. You experience different things. It kind of reminds me of The Yog, if anybody's played that on Steam. That was another one where you kind of went around, did different things, got a different ending. It was really cool. I recommend both things. And then check out Moon Hunters if you've got a Switch. Now, last two really quick. The first one is Disco Bear. Find it at discobeargame.com. If you got five to ten minutes and you want to have a fun, goofy time and dance around as a bear, hit up discobeargame.com. Be the Disco Bear. Gonna make you dance again. Do, 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 do. And then the very last one, it's Doki Doki Literature Club, a beautiful visual novel in the style of... Number four. Oh, where to begin? Where to begin this game? This game, boys and girls, is Super Mario Odyssey. I've been playing it with my wife all weekend long. And this is significant because Amanda, as a lapsed gamer, she hasn't played much in years and years and years. Yep. And we just popped out Super Mario Odyssey, and she's just been loving it. Which is just a testament to how powerful Nintendo is when it comes to their signature Mario series. Mm -hmm. It brings on everybody and makes them have fun. This one is no small thing to laugh at. I don't even know. It's just hard to begin with this because I can't spoil anything. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But it's Mario 64, except with, of course, the Switch graphics and the improvements and all the love and care that Nintendo can put into something after it's learned lessons over. Sunshine, Super Mario Galaxies, what else did they do? All the 3D worlds and whatnot they did on oh, the yep, yep. 3DS and, yep, and the Wii U and, of course, the Wii. They've brought this all together and made a fantastic game in which platforming is the focus. And there's all sorts of fun things on the side to do. For example, they'll take giant walls and then they'll put a little tube in there and you pop in now you're 2d mario with old school 8-bit graphic sprites nice. doing an entire little section as a as you would if you were playing you know nintendo's mario awesome. all over again it's just amazing they've got all these cool little secrets you pop into where there'll be like uh there'll be the moons the power moons that you're supposed to find 
And inside of this area where you're supposed to find these power moons, which are similar to the stars of previous Marios, but God bless Matt. You're scaring me. He's going to die. Everybody, Matt's going to die. <laughs> you got to find the power moons. What the f*** is a power moon? <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, the power moons, Matt, are what power your wonderful ship, which allows you to fly across the different lands in this world, searching for... Guess who, man? Take just one guess who you could possibly be searching for. The Prince of Persia. Perfect. Yes. Almost there. Bowser and Peach, because Bowser kidnapped Peach. Well, see, I had I had the two Ps, Princess mm-hmm. Peach. I just went, a oh, Prince of Persia. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. so close. You had it, man. You were right there on the money. You got to go after Peach, because Bowser's got some crazy plans, and of course you need a ship to do it. Well, the ship needs these awesome power moons to power it, to fly around the world, and have all sorts of adventures. Therefore, every time you land in a new kingdom, you've got to find these power moons to power the ship to keep carrying on in the game. The cool thing about the system is it only requires so many to actually get the ship off ground to where you can go to a new world. But each world has anywhere from 25 to 70 power moons to find. Mm-hmm. They only require that you usually find around 15, 20 to move on. Uh, so this this is basically the star system from uh, 64. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was getting at, was that it's basically the same star system for N64. It's just now you're finding power moons. That's pretty much the only difference. That's very and, different, though. A moon is not a star. <laughs> It's it's you know it's very confusing too because I'm constantly talking to Amanda going, hey oh a star over there look it's a star over there and it's not a star it's a power moon you know, gotta, gotta get it right Eric it's not a, it's not a star anymore man what a fool Just, I've played that game five thousand years ago why would I still be calling it a star? Daddy doesn't even know the difference between stars and moons ha 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 he's stupid gosh bless. The platforming is outstanding. You get all your jumps back. You've got your somersault jump. You've got your long jump. You've got your uh, backflip. You've got your uh, ground pound. All the cool things Mario was given back in the day are now back in full force. Plus, of course, a couple of the new cool and zany ones, you know, with the old Cappy. Who's Cappy, Eric? Well, he's your magical alien companion who allows you to do all sorts of cool things, like throw him like a boomerang and hit enemies. Not only hit enemies, but some enemies you can take control of. And then they've got their own unique abilities in which you use that to traverse that particular world, find the secret moons, and all the other good things. And, of course, it wouldn't be a Mario game without having to collect the purple coins as well. So you're using Cappy to find those, the power moons, searching all over the place, running and traversing every single angle of every single one of these very, very well-done levels in which everything you do is a platforming adventure. You cannot go anywhere without having some cool jumps you got to perform or some nice cool maneuvers using your new friend Cappy to get yourself over to that particular area. This game is phenomenal. It's been getting ratings all over the board of 9s and 10s. If you own a Switch, you just can't live without this one unless you really, really just hate fantastic games. I hate wonderful games, Eric. I I hate games. The worlds, the worlds are unique. I'll say this. I'm not going to say what the worlds are because it's part of the fun, in my opinion, is finding out what they are. But they're all unique. They have all sorts of cool, gimmicky, fun things to do that you know are different on every single world. Uh, unique characters, which some are funny, some are goofy, some make no sense. But that's Mario. It always has been. It's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to talk about it again once we get through the whole entire game as a you know review slash spoiler episode of it. But until then, let me just tell you to enjoy this dang game. Number three. Now let's go from fantastical fun, bright, bright new worlds of shiny wonderment, to the real world where shitty stuff happens. Welcome back. Welcome back. I got, I got a two-pack story here for you. First one is the developers of Warframe Digital Extremes. They're working on a hero shooter with card-based elements, which was called The Amazing Eternals. It had like a retro pulp art style. Looked really cool. Was getting some pretty good feedback from what I heard from people who played it in the closed beta. But uh, they said recently that they're going to... like put the brakes on development of that just because they weren't getting enough people in their closed beta. And I wasn't sure, did they ever go to open beta? Do you know? Not that I'm aware of, Not no. that you're aware of. Mm-mm. But they said they weren't getting enough people in that closed beta to have, you know, the, the, the multiplayer-focused player base that they were trying to get. 
And this was kind of a weird thing because their closed beta, to get into it, you had to become a founder of what was going to be a free-to-play game later. So you had to pay in to get into it. So just based on the numbers there, they saw that you know they weren't getting the player base that they wanted, so they've put a halt on development. They said maybe they're going to come back to it eventually, but it doesn't seem like they're doing anything with it now. Now, obviously, these are the guys who made Warframe, and that's still pretty popular from what I can tell. People love Warframe. People have been playing it forever, so I don't think they're going to be going anywhere. But bad news for anybody who is excited for the Amazing Eternals, anybody who got into it, anybody who was a founder, they said they were you know giving refunds over like a 72-hour period there after they made the announcement. So bad news there. But I thought this was especially interesting because it dovetails into a story I just read today about Bosu, who are the developers of Surgeon Simulator. They've got a new game out there called Deck Splash, which is a game where you basically are playing like a skateboard, and it's kind of like a mix between like Tony Hawk and Splatoon. Like you're doing cool tricks and charging up your skateboard, and then you splat down, and it splashes paint all over an area. And that's kind of, you know, an area control game like Splatoon is. I think they're in closed beta right now as well, but they're starting a free week which I believe starts on the 2nd of November. And they said, getting the free week out there so everybody can play it. They've been saying, you know, just like with Amazing Eternals, people who played it loved it, but they're not getting a lot of players right now in that closed beta that you got to pay into. So they said if they don't get 100,000 players by, you know, the end of that free week, then they're going to cancel all development on the game and it's not going to go anywhere. And we've already had our discussion about pre-orders and stuff. And I think this kind of meshes in with that too. Everyone talks about pre-order culture, et cetera, et cetera. But now it's getting to the point with these two games, and I mean, obviously, they're two different styles of games, and hero shooters that aren't Overwatch haven't been doing well, so, you know, Amazing Eternals is kind of a special case, but this is almost one of those cases where, hey, if not enough people pre-order our game, nobody's going to get it. We're just going to stop making it, because apparently nobody cares. Yeah, I'm not on board with this at all. I'm not on board with this at all. this is only as bad news bears because, like you said, these smaller titles will say, oh, well, you, we're going to see what pre-orders are. We're going to have these betas, and if enough people pre-order after that, we'll make the game. If not, mm. oh, whatever, we're not going to bother with it and end up losing out on money. If this switches over to mid-range and even larger titles, then, like you said, it's only going to yeah. take this pre-order culture and just force you to, if you want a game... You have to buy a game. If you're even mildly interested in a game, you have to buy this game or you'll never see any of these games be released. This doesn't even make sense. And not just that, you have to pay before you can even see a beta of it. You have to buy the beta to get the game. And if you don't buy the beta, you're not going to get the game. I'm making an expression that nobody can see right now. Like It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I sort of get it, but you've already, especially for the Amazing Eternals, it was going to be free to play anyway. They've already built the game. I mean, it's still in closed beta, but all the assets are there. Like, why wouldn't you just release it? Because it's going to be free anyway. I mean, I know you have to pay for server upkeep and everything, but you've just put all this money into the game. Why would you just take this half-formed thing and just go, oh... I can't even bother to just finish it. Nah. Toss. Throw it away. Just say, hey, don't even worry about it. We're not getting the exact response we want, so let's just stop, throw it away, deal with the repercussions of people already, you know, throwing you money for this thing that yeah. never even came to be. How does that even start to work out? Do you refund people? And and that's the part that I'm worried about. Like, they said that they are, and I trust them because they're a small developer that's you know been doing good stuff in the past. But if like EA or Ubisoft gets their hands on this kind of idea, if like you know obviously Call of Duty will get pre-orders and sell anyway, but if EA gets their hands on this kind of thing, oh well, hey, here's a pre-order for a game we haven't even really announced or revealed anything on yet. Hmm. If you want to be part of the secret, pay us seventeen ninety nine. And you'll be in on this secret game that might come to fruition, but might not. But only you'll know. You're being really generous with seventeen ninety nine. I could see them oh, yeah. saying, "Hey, anybody interested in the new Knights of the Old Republic game? Pre-order it right now for seventy nine ninety nine." Hmm. Yeah, we didn't get seventy million pre-orders. Oh well, sorry guys. 
Hey, what about our money? <laughs> we're a big corporation. What do you think we're going to give you your money back? <laughs> well, they would have to give you a service at least. <laughs> you might be able to go to court if they didn't give you it. They just said, pre-order this game. Uh, it's not coming out. Sorry, we're going to keep this money here. Wait a minute. That's what Kickstarter does. Isn't that the funniest part of it all? Kickstarter does exactly that. I kickstarted something, and it's been five years, and I don't have a single thing to show for it. So, like I said, these are two isolated incidents. Hopefully, it doesn't become the norm. Hopefully, no big companies that are uh, scurrilous here get a hold of anything like this. But I just thought it was something interesting to bring up because it, I just I just see somebody sneaking their toe in the water pretty soon here. Just blue. You want to help kickstart our game? Fund all of our development, even though we're a ginormous team. Ha, 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 ha. And if you didn't, oh, well, you don't get anything. Yeah, I hope it doesn't move to that. I hope it doesn't even go halfway to that, where they just start basing what they make and what they don't make off a pre-orders type situation. Yeah. Here's this closed bait of a thing. Oh, it didn't perform the way we want. Scrap it. Because then all these things that I have some interest in, but don't want to you know, jump in head first right then and there, Nothing's going to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to start seeing all these potentially awesome, amazing games just die out because they don't think enough money is going to be there for it. I don't like that one bit, Mr. Matt. Hey, I don't like it either, but, I mean, they close off studios for less than that, don't they? Number two. So, it's been all over the place. Everyone's had a little chit-chat about it, talking about EA in their statement, stating that they wanted to move into a more games-for-service type scenario, moving away from this you know, story-driven, one-player situation. And they've come out and said you know, that that was not the reason why. There was other issues. Yeah. And the reason why the speech was like that was because they don't want to get shareholders going, what the hell are you talking about? What's going on? And I believe it was Jason Schreier over at Kotaku who had the huge behind-the-scenes article stating exactly what actually happened with it, and it was indeed the case that the game was just trouncing and not just barely getting along. But if you read between the lines, you can see that EA was not putting the effort and the time into it that they should have for this type of game, and it was just all sorts of problems and issues. Yeah, and one of the things that I really liked in, if it is that same article, because there was a big, huge one on Kotaku, they were saying that, like, you know, they were trying to take a new direction with a Star Wars game and go to this, you know, side like crime drama type of thing in that universe. But then anytime you do anything in Star Wars, it has to be approved by this giant committee of all these people because Star Wars is a licensed property and everything has to be cookie cutter, this and that. And then again, they were saying that, you know, the EA executives would be like, well, Where's the Star Wars in this? Where where's Chewbacca? Where's a lightsaber? Where's a Jedi in a robe? It has to it has to be this thing to be a Star Wars thing that people will buy, right? So all kinds of issues. It's just the whole it just article like is a just hot ridiculous. Mess. Yeah. It just seemed like a hot mess all the way through and through. It got everybody up in arms saying are we moving away from single player adventure games? Uh, and I would say just to weigh in quickly on it, no, we're not. This is just a case where EA sees some of the bigger studios out there making a lot of money off these, you know, games like Destiny, where their games as service. I think that's the term everybody's using. Yep. Yes. And they want the money. They want in on that, which is why they're doing Anthem, which is why I believe they're now changing the Star Wars title into a games for service type game as well, because they feel if they can throw two of them out there, one of them's sure to stick. And then they make start generating all that awesome revenue. Because just look at Blizzard rolling in billions of dollars based off this type of game. Yeah, true. Uh, and, and everybody wants that. You can't tell me, even as a normal human, you can't be that upset with a publisher who looks at that and goes, uh, we need that. We want that. I, I would say you can and you can't because there are such, you know, big shining examples of single-player experiences. I mean, like Uncharted, which... One of the writers of Uncharted was working on this visceral game with them. And, I mean, I know that's an exceptional case because everyone loves Uncharted, and it does have a multiplayer aspect to it, too. But, I mean, there are examples of that, so I don't think those things would ever go away. But when you're getting into that big, like, conglomerate, like, Sony can have one arm of its octopus do a big single-player experience, like Uncharted, like The Last of Us, etc., etc. But I think once you get into that hey, we're EA and we just do everything. Well, we want everything to be 
the super the super profitable thing that Activision and Blizzard do. We want we want to be that, and I think that's where it starts to get into trouble. I agree. You shouldn't go out and look at what everybody else is doing and just try to mimic it based off the success that they are having. Mm-hmm. I I feel overall you're going to want to forge your own path, find what works for you and your studios, what they're good at, and Visceral was good at making stories. And I was just going to say that's the thing, is these big corporations that pick up studios, I feel like a lot of the times they pick them up and they try to adapt them to the model that they feel like they as a publisher want to do versus just like you said hey visceral is awesome at making big story driven horror games but we don't want you to keep doing that we want you to change it up just this much but this is what they do you can't make them not do what they do they either a won't be happy or b won't be able to do it well well and speaking of that that's exactly what the article is talking about as well was that they threw him into Battlefield Hardline, got him going on that, making that, and then doing the DLCs for that as well. And mm-hmm. it sounds like they just weren't in it. They didn't want to be doing that. They wanted to be working on the Star Wars title. They wanted to be working on something else that was interesting to them yeah. as as a group, and this wasn't what it was. Battlefield Hardline was not that. And like you said, EA just kind of, no, this is, this is what we want you to do. So regardless, this is what you're going to work on. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Why would you do that? It's just one of those like corporate culture things that people have to get away from. Is if the employees don't love what they do and aren't motivated to do that thing that you're asking them to do, it's not going to come out right. I mean, Battlefield Hardline worked and was a game that was playable, but nobody loved but it. But it was not it was not received well. It did poorly. They yeah. moved very quickly on from it. So overall, it kind of was a failure, I mean, to Mm. be blunt about it. And then to make that group that already didn't want to be making that game come back to work on DLCs when they've already seen that nobody else liked it anyway, Mm -hmm. that's like double... It had to be rough. Double whammy. Exactly. So it's no no surprise then that you've got this beaten up team working on this project, not staffed the way it should have been staffed, trying to achieve the kind of level that Uncharted, as you mentioned has with this mm-hmm. Star Wars title that they're working on, knowing this is their first go-round at this type of game, as it's just, I can't imagine being in those men's, females, people's, whatever you want to call them, shoes. Yeah. Because that would have just sucked. That would have just been a whole freaking can of worms of... Ugh, ugh. I read that article, and which was a fantastic article. Oh, by yeah, the way. it was great. It really went in-depth and was just fantastic. If you haven't read it, it's on Kotaku. It's Jason Schreier once again. Really good stuff. Mm-hmm. It just painted a picture of just all the signs of bad failure, just everything that could go wrong going wrong. Just And it sucks because it's a Star Wars title that was going to be fantastic. Like mm-hmm. you said, it had uh, Amy... Amy Hennig, I think. Hennig? Yeah. She she did the writing for, of course, the first couple Uncharted's, which mm-hmm. were fantastic. She was going to create something great. I mean, everybody was for sure that this was going to happen. So. Mm-hmm. And now Visceral's gone, which means that uh, Dead Space is pretty much dead. In space. In space. But the one thing they could do is, I mean, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the developers, where they're going to end up. But if some of them do survive to, you know, team up again and, you know, create their own separate development house, maybe you could get a Dead Space-inspired, you know, fantasy game or some other kind of, you know, equally good horror game in the future. Maybe they can. Well, maybe reconvene. EA would be kind enough to give them their title back. That'd be. That would be nice. But then again, or, yeah, the reason why I think it's probably do- dead is because after two, a lot of the people working on Dead Space went away. Sledgehammer, other things, all this other crazy crap. Yeah, true. So for Dead Space Three, a lot of the individuals who were on the original two weren't even there anyway. Mm-hmm. And now we're even farther away from that. Plus, everybody's been fired and spread to the winds. Yeah. So I feel like this is kind of a an unfortunate case where it just disappears and well, like you I have s- what you have. Like I said, maybe you don't get dead space, but maybe if that core team ever did get back together again, you've got yes. You're like right. like I said, a different a different kind of horror experience, horror environment. But may, may, maybe in the future. See, keep. Keep a bright lookout, Eric. Put on put on your rose-colored I glasses. To, but Isaac was my boy. That story was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought it had a lot of potential. 
It wasn't the ending of Dead Space 3 that there were just uh, markers out everywhere in the millions and billions? Or was that the ending that of 2? That was 2. 2 oh. is where you find out that it's all over the place. There's a lot of bad things going down in the world. Well, then just erase all memories <laughs> of 3 and then pursue in your brain the, the beautiful fanfic and headcanon of Isaac going around to see all the markers. There you go. Bam. And I will. I will. I will forevermore. <laughs> Speaking of Dead Space, man. We're going to drop into our last segment of the night. That's right. Number one. Due to it being Halloween, we thought we'd add in this little segment for all the little ghouls and ghosts out there. <laughs> so we're going to end tonight and just mention a little bit about our two favorite scariest games we've played. It's not a horror game. It's not a scary game. But the game that gave me the most intense moments outside of being a horror game, has got to be Metal Gear Solid 3. Now, again, I, that's not a horror game. That's not scary at all. But it's intense and it's stressful because you're trying to get through all these environments without being seen, without being detected, without starting a gunfight, and you don't have the overarching Soliton radar system that shows you where every single guard is and where every single, you know, all his vision cones are. So when you're sitting there behind a tree, scouting out with your binoculars, all right, there's a guy who patrols here and here and here and here, and there's one way back there. All right, I'm planning out my route. I know where I got to go. Crawl. All right, I'm going to run, run. Ching. Oh, God, there's a guy right over there. Dive. Roll. Go, go. Oh, jeez. Thump, 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 thump. <laughs> it's not scary, but it was intense and provided so many of those moments of you turn the corner and the guy that you didn't know was there is there, and he goes, Vroom, and you're like, Shit, Jesus Christ. It's panic mode, panic mode, run, 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 stress, stress, stress. That's one of my scariest games. That suspense. You know, there's exactly. Just, oh my God. What is that? Can I make it through? No. Because ah. it is suspenseful as you're going because you're trying to time out the guard routes, and then it's. It, I mean, it's basically a jump scare when you turn the corner and a guy's there and it goes ring and the freaking alert goes red and he starts yelling for on the radio and shooting at you. There you go. The suspense and jump scares all in one right there. Mine, and we were just talking about it, is Dead Space. And this is the original, mind you. I love two, but the original mm-hmm. holds a special place in my heart. The time I spent on the Ishimura was intense, terrifying, Every single moment in that game, you're clunking around in this giant engineer suit with guns that aren't meant to kill aliens. They're meant to fix ships and repair things. You're breathing heavily. Everywhere you go is the potential of death and madness. And the game plays right into it. All the visuals, everything you hear and see, put you in a mood that you just know something bad is coming, something bad is going to happen. Oh, yeah. And and they just did a fantastic job of playing on that. Every moment you were like, here it is. This is, this is going to be bad. Nothing happens. And then you're like, no, this can't be right. And then it is right. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the elevator, and elevators are safe. And then a bad thing happens. <laughs> it just, yeah, no. The f- and it just hits you every time. And mm. they did it in billions of different ways. So it never got old. Yeah, I was I was going to jump in and comment on that too because I've never played it myself, but I watched somebody play through it on YouTube and it was one of those things where he's coming up on the corner and there's the big shadow of the thing and he's like, oh, God, here it is. Here it is. Ah! Turns the corner, nothing. Oh, okay. And then he goes on for like two hours through the rest of the ship. And then he's coming back through the, that same corridor later. And I recognized it because I remembered that happening. And he's just like, oh, and he's, he's running. He's in a hurry to go to whatever and running. And then that's when the giant tentacle arm busts through the whole thing. And he's just, oh, my God. Ah! <laughs> and, you know, Isaac's flailing around on the deck and you're trying to, you know, it's one of those ones that catches you by the leg. So you got to shoot it real quick. And mm-hmm. it's just, just. Bam! Perfect jump scare, freak out moment. Oh, they did and that so was, well. And that's what I love that too, because they did that several times in that particular title, where not only did they get you with that jump scare, but then they put a super stressful high octane mm-hmm. moment right afterwards. So you're not you're not even done being scared. You're not even done with the heart yet, and it's just like you act now. You've got three seconds to shoot this thing, or you're dead. Yep. And you're just and it's just panic, wild breathing. 
and it gets and if you do it and you succeed, you just say, like, "Oh my, nah, I just want, mm. I need five seconds. Hang on a second. <laughs> oh my god." <laughs> and that is fantastic. And oh, when yeah. you can do that a bunch throughout a title, that's a win. Mm-hmm. So definitely, hands down, one of my favorite horror games of all time. Now I think my my top one. I was debating about which which game to, to put in here because. It was either going to go to the original Silent Hill or to Resident Evil 4. I was going to pick Resident Evil 4 just because I played it a lot, but it also wasn't scary. It was tense, but it wasn't frightening. And Silent Hill, the original one, I watched my buddy play a little bit of it at his house, and I was intrigued, but I wasn't, I wasn't scared yet. And then I went and rented it at Blockbuster, and I was like, all right, I'm going to play this game. What's going on in this game? It's a fog game. There's radio and like weird characters you meet. And I put it in and spun up on my PS1. And I got into that intro. And I was like, oh, man, there's oh man, there's a weird, like, there's like flesh and guts hanging off of here. And there's a, there's a weird, gross thing over here. And I went at, down that first little alleyway. And I turned around and the little baby ghosts with the knives came after me and stabbed me in the legs and I fell mm-hmm. down and I was so freaked out. I turned that game off and I never played that game again. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I had never really played frightening or horror or scary games before. And that one was just, that whole intro was just bam, 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 bam. One thing after another, ratcheting up the creep and the just the the uneasiness and the and the stress and then getting cornered by those little baby stabber dudes that you couldn't do anything to and you had to get stabbed and die at that point and it was just oh, it was too much it was too much for young gamer matt young gamer matt couldn't even play it had to just give it up just had the fear sweats coming out of you shaking done i think it didn't help that i was actually playing it at night and it was dark too so it was just it was just that perfect combination of everything and i was like uh, nope yes. nope not can nope 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 that's not happening and it's funny to think of it now, because I'm sure if I played it and watched it now, I'd be like, oh my gosh, here comes the polygon man in the polygon screen looking all dopey and ropey and, and derpy. But at that time, at that moment, in, you know, in it that... It was bad. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Uh-huh. I have fond memories of Silent Hill 1. And speaking of Silent Hill, my favorite horror game of all time is Silent Hill 2. Oh, yeah. That game, once, just as Dead Space does, holds a special place in my heart. It was the last game I played before I went into the military. Oh, yeah. So I spent many a dark night, middle of the night, from freaking 11 p.m. till 3 a.m., up in my room, in my chair, playing this game. And, man, you want to talk about just intense, focused, going nuts, the moth the moth thing, pyramid head raping the the um, mannequins, mm-hmm. and then escaping that later on in the game when you're in the asylum, God, when you're in the hospital in the dark, and you're going through the elevator who's like ta- telling you riddles and saying crazy crap. Oh, everything about this game, like you said, is just disturbing, mm-hmm. and you don't know when the next part was going to come that was bad, yeah, because it was all bad. There was not a spot where you're like. This is all right. Life's good to go. No. Everything was disturbing. Everything was wrong. And you're like, that's going to be bad. That's bad. It's all bad. I'm surrounded by bad. It literally makes sure you understood that you were in bad. You were never in good. There was never a moment where you were okay. And it didn't matter if you were in the the crazy portion where the walls peel away and all the rust and blood and everything, cages come out, or you were in just the somber what the hell ghost land what happened to this world part it was all twisted mm-hmm. and wrong and i've never had a feeling like that since silent hills have come and gone but i don't think any of them ever truly captured that feeling that silent hill one and two had mm. I, I was laughing all through that because you're like man it's the last thing i did before i went into the military so i stayed up all night long in this disturbing world of tension and and just just <laughs> my, getting my brain all twisted with and then i went and then i took off <laughs> I, went, I was in this world of all bad, and I moved to this other world of also all bad. This real life world of all bad. It prepared me mentally, Matt, for what I needed. <laughs> uh, it helped me make it through. Oh, it actually man. did it in a way because, you know, I told you the story many times. As I realized in there, this is all bad. Mm-hmm. There's not an ounce of good here. It won't be good. It's not going to be good. It's not meant to be good. Every turn, every corner is badness. Uh-huh. Just like Silent Hill 2 was. So I'm like, oh, I understand. 
Just accept, embrace suffering and sadness just, and misery. Just become it's the okay. pyramid head. Now become I'm the pyramid, pyramid head. head. And <laughs> the mannequins. <laughs> That's why Eric eventually had to come home. Well, the mannequins you know. were not safe over in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> Those damn Iraqi mannequins. Those mannequins. Uh, took them all out. Took them all out. What did Billy do? Oh, he went into the village and shot some people. What did Eric do? Oh, that department store will never be the same. Oh, you don't even God. want to know Get, what happened there. Send them, send them all out. Send them all out. Get them. They all begged out. us to take them and send them home. They begged them. <laughs> Just picture every every day it's patrolling. Why are we stopping at this department store? <laughs> Shut up, Captain. <laughs> what did you do in there? What are you do? <sighs> <sighs> Nothing. You don't truly understand, though, Matt. See, I would have just drove the truck into the building. <laughs> Hold, hold my beer. Hold my gun. <laughs> <laughs> Got something to do. Oh, goodness. Awesome. All right, let's wrap it up. <laughs> oh, because there's no coming back from that. No, that's it. Imposters wrap up. So do you guys got some awesome Halloween stories out there? Any sort of favorite horror games that interest you and you want us to know about? We'd love to hear from you. Get your freaking emails to us. Get your Twitters, Facebook, any sort of replies to us as fast as you can because Halloween's right around the corner. And after that, I don't want to know about no scary stories. I want to know about turkeys. That's right. So <laughs> so as Eric said, send us your scary stories. Send us your turkey stories. You can do any kind of good stuff like that via email at info at thirdshift.me. You can tweet at us at thirdshiftme, and you can find us on Facebook under Third Shift. And, of course, this podcast drops every two weeks on Tuesday, so we'll be back in your ear holes on the 14th of November for our very next episode. And you can find those episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Podbean. And if you like what we're doing and you want to help us out, please give us a like, a rating, a review, a comment, a subscription, any kind of good thing on any one of those good services because it does help us out, and we really do appreciate it. You know we do, and by appreciating it, we've got a Patreon set up. If you like what we do, like an episode, we treat it like a tip jar. If you like what you hear, hey, throw us a buck, throw us five bucks, throw us a thousand bucks. We appreciate it a lot. All of you out there already throwing us some cash, we want to say thank you, thank you so much. We're finally to the point now where our hosting fees, etc., are paid for, and that's a crazy milestone for us. We're super appreciative and happy about it. Yes. We've already told you guys on our other podcast that we're now going to start getting more content out there for the patrons because that was part of the goal once we reach the $25 a month mark. So look forward to that. There's going to be all sorts of cool stuff coming your guys' way, and we've got ideas, and we want you, if you are a patron, to send us your ideas because we want to see what you guys want from us as patrons, and then we want to deliver that because, as I say, we are monkeys wanting to serve and please our master clowns, and you are the master clowns. I'm laughing too much to make a monkey noise. It's That's it. <laughs> that's it. There's nothing else to say after the monkeys and the clowns, nope. but don't forget to don't save. Don't forget to save. <laughs> All right. I got to get my ass to bed.